This is the European edition of Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. We bring you the European unicorns, startups, founders, regulators and leaders innovating the rapidly evolving fintech scene today. A truly localized podcast with both English and local language content with some of the world's most well-known hosts and influencers in the fintech sector globally. Join us every week as we explore what makes the European Union a phenomenal proving ground for many of the fastest growing fintech plays in the world today. Okay, let's roll. Hello, uh, welcome to episode 129 of Breaking Banks Europe. Uh, today we're going to be talking about payments and it's about breaking payments and how the payment space is changing and where the innovation is and where the opportunities are. Uh, I'm your host, Ajit Tripathi. Uh, today, I am associated by the Polygon, and I do a lot of work with a variety of crypto startups in this space. Uh, and uh, I, with me here today, we have Elena Alisea, who is the head of product UK and Europe for Gemini. Elena, please say hello to our uh, guests, uh, to our audience. Hi, guys. Hi, and we also have Liam uh, Gray, who is the strategic account manager for Europe for Plaid. Liam, hey, everyone. Uh, welcome. Hey. Please say hello to our wonderful audience. Hey, great to be here. Great. So yeah, so I'm, uh, you know, uh, so we are going through a very interesting time in 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 markets. Uh, we're not going to spend too much time on that, but across fintech and crypto, we have seen a massive reset of expectations uh, and valuations. Uh, you know, what a wonderful time to be alive, and uh, but at the same time, the pace of innovation isn't slowing down, especially in the payment space, which has kind of dominated the you know the, the depth of innovation in tech across the board. Uh, so so today we'll learn from. Uh, fortunately, this is also a topic I don't know too much about, so I'll try and not talk too much, uh, which gives our chance, uh, our audience, the chance to share their infinite wisdom. So uh, let's get started. So uh, you know, uh, by the way, this episode is brought to you by Plaid, and we are very thankful to our sponsors for uh, for this one. So uh, let's get started uh, with, uh, with, with Elena. So Elena, uh, do you want to tell us about the scope of uh, product management at Gemini? What do you do and uh, what does your team do? Yeah, so um, so super great to be here and thanks for the introduction. Um, so like you said, I'm the head of product for Europe and the UK for Gemini. Um, so we own product innovation for the region, which is basically taking products and features from idea all the way to delivery. So that it's what you see when you open the Gemini app or when you log into your Gemini account. Uh, I also work on global expansion, which from a product development standpoint means exactly what I described, but on a global level. So making sure that the value proposition works in every local market. Um, my first global expansion project at Gemini was actually launching our services here in the UK, where we've been live for almost two years. Um, so that was our first international foray outside the US, and now we're expanding into Europe with our Ireland HQ and further afield APAC and looking into their markets as well. And Gemini is, uh, you know, you have multiple uh, activities. So primarily Gemini is a very well-known crypto exchange. You have custody uh, and institutional lending. What else uh, does product mean at Gemini, especially in the payment yeah. space? Yeah. So uh, we do. We have 
quite a broad product offering at Gemini. Um, definitely our bread and butter is the exchange and custody services, um, but we have a lot of new exciting products uh, based out of the U.S. Right now we have Earn um, and the recently launched Gemini credit card. Um, and then looking also at payments and payment space, um, I used to work on the payments team at Gemini. And so uh, that's a really important sort of like feature maybe like a pillar feature for us um, in terms of making sure that people can get into the crypto space. Um, and so we really think about that as like a key part of our offering since we are kind of this hopefully trusted gateway between uh, the crypto ecosystem and the traditional financial ecosystem. And Liam, uh, what about you? So Plaid is obviously extremely well known in FinTech for you know your open APIs and and, and the widespread adoption of Plaid APIs. So what's new and exciting at Plaid? <laughs> Everything. Um, so I'm a strategic account manager over here at Plaid. So that means I look after some of our fastest growing accounts across Europe. Um, and I basically help them to leverage open banking payments and data and supercharge their growth. Uh, so in the crypto space, what that really means is helping them to bridge that gap between the crypto and fiat spaces. So helping them to onboard clients and fund those wallets. So that's mainly what we um, help our crypto clients in particular to do. In terms of what's exciting, um, a number of different things. So to be honest, one of the biggest things that we're really doing at the moment is educating um, both clients and end users on all of the things that they can potentially do in the open banking space. But I'm sure we'll dig into that in much more detail further in the conversation. Got it. Yeah, I think the, the user experience of fiat services has been a bit of a problem for crypto users for a long time. Uh, you know, in the early days, uh, I remember we used to trade everything against Bitcoin. And then, you know, some banking partnerships like Coinbase in the UK started and stopped. And I think we've come a long way from there. Uh, so, uh, so, Elena, what's your experience been more recently? Uh, and, you know, what are the innovations that you have seen around sort of improving the user experience of, uh, you know, crypto payment services, but also, you know, uh, you know fiat uh, payment services for crypto users? Yeah, definitely. So there's a lot that goes into that concept of accessibility, right? Um, like, and the UX is a really, really big piece of um, removing barriers to accessibility for people around the world to get into the crypto space. Um, and it's pretty basic in terms of how it's rooted in psychology, right? People won't use something that they don't understand or that isn't easy to use. Um, but, you know, however, as much as I would love to make certain flows completely seamless, uh, the reality is that with payments, you know, and as, as in many other parts of the user experience uh, when you're working in traditional financial services or in crypto, you know, we're faced with a balancing act really of consumer protection and compliance versus flows that are easy to use and accessible to all experience levels. Um, so, you know, looking at parts of the Gemini flow as an example, when you want to fund your Gemini account using a bank transfer, we first require that you register your bank account information with us. And that is an area where we've worked with Plaid to make this super easy in the UK um, and in many of our major markets. So Plaid provides customers with that easy, safe, secure way to pass Gemini their bank account details for registration and also helps Gemini on our side ensure that we have accurate and verified customer bank details. 
Um, and, you know, all of those are super important checks. We want to make sure that our users and their funds are as protected as possible. Um, but understandably, that's where we lose some people in our payments funnels. And that's where it becomes a UX problem, r- regardless of how you're trying to get that information. Uh, I think we all can recognize the experience of being asked for information. We don't have at hand or don't have time to provide. So we just leave the website and kind of never come back. Um, but yeah, so that's that's why... P- that's part of why rather new partnerships um, and like the ones that we have with Plaid and areas like open banking, card payments, alternative payment methods are really exciting in terms of opening up that global accessibility to the crypto ecosystem, reducing that friction in the user experience and payments. Um, all these types of products really provide new opportunities to make it easier and safer and more accessible for people around the world to get involved in crypto. So uh, what are the current trends in you know, consumer crypto adoption. Are you seeing adoption beyond, you know, so there is there is a widespread criticism that the crypto is mostly used for speculative purposes and uh, there isn't a lot of like day-to-day utility, economic utility. What are the current trends and uh, what, what's your response to that? Yeah, so I'll give a very data-driven response to this one. Um, and so Gemini actually issues an annual, annual global state of crypto report, and we look at multiple countries around the world and how adoption is changing over time uh, in all kinds of different markets from a retail perspective. Um, and by retail, I just mean sort of the average person off the street, right? It's not the banks, it's not the hedge funds. This is what people are doing in crypto markets um, when they're sort of considering crypto as an asset class. So one of the most interesting trends that the research uncovered this year was that overall 2021 was a hugely transformative year in uh, in terms of mainstream adoption of crypto. So like if we look at the UK specifically, we found that overall one in five UK adults own crypto and nearly half of those crypto investors in the UK bought in for the first time in the past year. Uh, So that is huge, huge growth and huge adoption. Um, We all, I feel like, kind of felt that crypto was really entering mainstream just in terms of even media coverage, anecdotal conversations and awareness. And, you know, my mom asked me about it. So I feel like that's, that's an indicator, Uh, but it's interesting (laughs) that it bears out. Yeah. yeah, It it bears out as a trend in our research too. Like it's in the numbers. Um, And in terms of what we see at Gemini in terms of actual activity on the platform. Uh, So with all these new entrants to the market, the most important priorities are really education and we believe regulation to ensure that the right consumer protections are in place. Um, And, you know, to your point about some of sort of the criticisms around crypto and maybe like investor demographics or um, speculation, maybe speculative sentiment around crypto. Um, We had some interesting highlights that I'd like to mention. Um, So, you know, we found that millennials are currently the generation with the highest level of crypto ownership in the UK. It's more than 60% of UK crypto investors that are in that 25 to 44 year old age bracket. Um, and I thought the report showed a really positive trend in terms of the gender diversity of investors. We found that over a third of UK crypto investors are female and over 55% of the UK's quote-unquote crypto-curious demographic are women. Um, and crypto-curious just meaning that those are people who stated they are either intending to buy crypto in the next 12 months or are interested in learning more. 
Right. So, uh, you know, uh, so here I represent a fintech audience and not my crypto shirt, right? So I'm going to ask some questions that sound slightly skeptical. Uh, so one of those would be, you know, we have seen a, an extraordinarily liberal monetary, monetary policy, and that has led to a surprise price increase across the board. And that has potentially brought a lot of, you know, retail users into a, a relatively speculative asset class. Uh, so now, obviously, markets are correcting significantly. Are you seeing any short-term uh, trends in crypto adoption as well? I mean, because a lot of the younger generation has never seen a bear market. Yeah, I would just say sort of our thesis at Gemini is like, really, we don't get caught up in short-term price movements. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're we're focused on laying foundation for the long-term growth of the industry. Um, if you look at the lows, they continue to get higher over the long-term. Um, and Bitcoin is still considered by many the best performing asset class in the past decade. Um, so we really view digital assets in terms of their longer term value proposition and the, the factors that drive that. Right. So that relates to the question, you know, how do you see the outlook for future crypto adoption? Let's say over the next yeah. three to five years. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, you know, that research that I mentioned, the Global State of Crypto Report, um, it's useful to compare markets and geographies, but it also helps us take a step back and look at the macro global trends. Um, And so starting with where we are now, right, the percentage of global adoption is currently pretty low. It's estimated at around 3 to 4%. And with a huge percent of that population only having joined crypto in the last year. Mm -hmm. Um, And all in all, even with the hype of the last year and all the new regulations being put into place in various different countries this year, I'd say it's still early days for crypto adoption. Um, There's a lot of people who have analyzed the adoption curve of the internet for comparison. And if you use that analogy, the common conclusion that's reached is that we're still in the 90s of the crypto era, uh, which, you know, is crazy to think about, but is also super exciting. Um, so think about what the world looked like almost 30 years ago, right? In yeah. the 90s. Yeah. yeah like sad, level... Sadly, I'm that old. So yeah, <laughs> I didn't have to reveal my age, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I mean, the level of progress that we've made in technology since then has been just exponential, right? So comparing that to how the crypto and blockchain industries look today, it's super exciting to be thinking about what the next 30 years could hold, you know, looking beyond that three to five year timeline, even that you mentioned. I think there are a whole host of use cases that need to be explored and expanded upon, some of which are maybe being scaled up from current implementations um, and some of which have yet to be addressed or even discovered. And then, of course, you know, we also have various institutions that are entering the space very much in earnest. Uh, Everyone from family offices to traditional wealth managers to digital asset managers, crypto funds, fintechs, even corporates who want to hold crypto on their balance sheet. So that's additional growth and a parallel path for adoption that's also really on the rise. Um, So I guess the TLDR is I think it's still really early days, but I say that in a way that like I think it's very exciting. Absolutely. So going back to Liam, Liam, uh, what does this mean for Plaid's business? As in, you know, uh, how much of your uh, API traffic, for example, is coming from from crypto activities, and what's the growth in in that subsegment? Yeah, so it's an interesting question. In terms of the specific numbers, there, I don't have those to hand. 
But I just want to go back to Elena's point about um, her mom knowing what's happening in the crypto space, um, because I think this is an important litmus test for fintech in general, not just for crypto. So if you go back before the pandemic, we were in a position where most people were using cash. Um, fintech and specifically crypto wasn't something that people even knew about, yet alone um, wanted to dabble in. Now, a couple of years later, all of a sudden people are really interested in crypto and digital payments in general. And that's um, something that we think is going to continue going forward. So we're no longer looking at just one demographic or one segment, um, which is mainly young people or people who have a certain amount of money who are going to be, one, making digital payments or two, looking into the crypto space. We're looking at really everybody um, moving into this space or at least seeing what's happening there. And in order to facilitate that, we need to make it as easy as possible. So going back to the conversation and the points that we were making around UX and UI, um, it's massively important that not only is it smooth as, as smooth as possible, but we have friction in the right place and education in the right place as well. So um, going back to another one of Elena's points, it's about reducing friction, not taking it um, away completely, because that dropout of certain people, sometimes you want those people to drop out because those are risks, or sometimes you want those people to drop out because they actually shouldn't be going through that flow. However, for the vast majority of people, you want them to go through that flow and you want them to know what they're doing. So in answering your question, what are we seeing as the trends? We're seeing more, I put in quotation, and marks um, regular people really um, using digital payments and trying to get from that fiat world into the crypto world and um, using on ramps like um, Plaid. No, no, I, I remember, you know, uh, so I, I worked with Binance on enabling fiat on ramps in UK and Europe and we bought a lot of volume, but we didn't have the ability to uh, sort of open an API connection to a bank account and without leaving the you know, without leaving the crypto exchange, essentially yep. be able to deposit uh, fiat directly into the account. So you kind of made a transfer from a bank and then waited for it to show up. Uh, fortunately, it's quite fast in UK and Europe compared to, let's say, in the US. But if your payment got stuck, then you didn't know what was going on. Uh, so I think the US definitely, thanks to Plaid, uh, uh, you know, has got a lot better on on on, on your partner exchanges, and that's that's a that's a bit of a relief uh, for a lot of users. So. Uh Absolutely. Thank you for that. Now, yeah, take a very short break and come back to, uh, you know, spread some more, I think, uh, interesting questions and answers after this break. Thank you so much. Today's podcast is brought to you by Plat. Around the world, more people than ever before rely on digital finance for their everyday lives. Plat provides the open finance platform to make it all possible. Over 6,000 companies worldwide use Plat to unlock financial freedom for everyone. Plat helps people connect to and pay from their financial accounts at over 12,000 financial institutions across the UK, Europe and North America. To learn more about Plaid and how we can help you build convenient, fast and secure digital financial and payment experiences, reach out to our team at plaid.com slash breaking banks. Welcome back to episode 129 of Breaking Banks Europe. Today we are talking to our guests Elena and Liam about uh, the new trends in payments right across crypto and, and open API. So 
so I, I know, Elena, you guys released this Global State of Crypto 2022 report. Where can we find it? Yes, you can find that um, on the Gemini website. I wish I had the exact URL in mind, but if you Google Gemini Global State of Crypto, uh, the report is on the Gemini website and it's it's a fantastic report. I mean, we learn a ton every year and we use that data internally quite a bit. Okay, and Liam, sorry for throwing you a curveball a bit. So I know you are very focused on you know open APIs for the fiat system. What about APIs for the crypto payment system, right? So crypto native, crypto to crypto, like uh, Gemini, Paxful, uh, you know, those, uh, or even DeFi protocols and things like that. Are there any plans to uh, to integrate with some of the more crypto native payment systems which do not involve the ad Um No plans in the very short term, but that's the goal, I suppose. Just we want to be the front door to uh, financial services in general. And crypto is a massive part of financial services. So we really want to be linking in with all of these platforms. And the more people that are using them, the more important it is to actually um, integrate with these APIs and allow end users to actually use them. Um, how far away is that? I, I don't know um, at the moment. Um, but I do think that we're starting to build a standard in open banking. And that standard is definitely going to be used um, in the crypto space and for other financial services platforms as well. So my short answer is not yet, <laughs> um, but I definitely see it on the roadmap. Yeah. And one of the uh, trends I have seen personally is, you know, it becomes so much easier for, for fiat and crypto services to partner. Right? There was a time when it was impossible to get a bank account. You had to go through say, eight or nine electronic money institutions to get a pooled account for an exchange. So, how has your experience been, you know, between let's say Gemini and Plaid in terms of setting up the partnership and then scaling it, and you know, and, and any reflections on that, Elena? Yeah. So, and I mean, Liam, feel free to jump in if you have any additional thoughts. But like, I think our experience with Plaid has only been really positive um, and sort of. Coming back to you know the, the big topic of UX in in payments and adoption in the crypto space, um, we work really closely together on making sure that we're delivering the best experiences for users uh, through Plaid and the integration with Gemini, and you know making sure that we're kind of like co-owning that experience of the user um, and making it as seamless as possible. Um, so it's been really positive and the partnership has really grown a lot in the time that we've been working together um, and hopefully we'll continue to do so. But I was just thinking about that when you were speaking earlier, Liam, about um, you know how you guys are super focused on on making sure that users can can get through these experiences and have a very positive experience. Um, you know, we do a lot of that UX work together, um, which I think is really positive collaboration and only ends up working out better for all of the end users. That's very interesting. So Liam, what's that uh, co-creation from a product perspective look like? Yeah, um, I, think, I think I can only echo all the points that Elena just made. Um, I... Okay, this is going to sound really cheesy, but I don't see our clients as clients. I see them as partners because you're not just giving them an API connection and say, run with this. You're really trying to design um, a product and an experience. And it's really important that you've got that relationship in the right place to do that. Um, otherwise, you're just seen as a vendor. And the better your relationship, the better the end product, both for the client and for that end user. Um, 
for crypto for crypto clients in particular um because um i find that um ux is massively important and also looking to the future and being super innovative it makes it really easy for us to work with um clients like um gemini um so what what it actually looks like in terms of that that co-creation process is weeks of work looking at um, wireframes looking at um, figma files looking at various different things um working together through the testing process and then eventually moving into beta and then rolling it all out um we work very closely throughout the whole process that's i think that's an extremely important point uh, right because uh, who is a crypto user has changed completely I mean, 2014, 15, it was essentially a few of us uh, fringe, weird people, you know, uh, playing with crypto and, and trading against Bitcoin. Now there are a lot of, you know, ordinary people who don't necessarily want to use, let's say, a MetaMask wallet or, or, or something more complex that, you know, are coming into crypto. So UX is, and, and the UX and especially the security and the feeling of, you know, safety and trust around UX is very, very important. Uh, so you know, I, I think the point you're making about essentially co-creation and making you know these types of partnerships and working collaboratively to create experiences for users is is really really valuable. So uh, you know, thank you for doing that. Now, uh, so it's impossible to talk about crypto uh, in especially in Europe without bringing in this wonderful R word. I mean, I can tell you, being a crypto person, I don't love it, but regulation. So uh, Europe and UK aren't particularly seen as a crypto-friendly environment right now, uh, you know, and, and maybe my perception is inaccurate, but uh, so for Gemini and Plaid, right? Uh, now, uh, what, so how, first of all, how do you see the regulatory environment in the UK and Europe? And secondly, uh, what can be done to foster, you know, safe experiences, but also, you know, adoption of crypto? What can... Uh, you know, regulators do. What can the rest of us do to to create a better regulatory environment for for European and UK users? Yeah, so I can I can start, um, and then Liam, feel free sure. if you want to jump in. Um, I would say, you know, the UK specifically, just you know, starting with the UK, has a position as a leading center of global financial activity and innovation. And I think that there is such an opportunity for the UK to be a leader in crypto regulation and to really maintain that edge in sort of the global financial eco or yeah, the global financial sector as crypto continues to become a larger and larger part of the global economy. Um, yeah. Regulation in crypto, like in other sectors is really such a balancing act. Um, at Gemini, we believe that good regulation can create an even playing field and that it protects consumers while still encouraging uh, innovation. And so we take the stance that regulators and governments have a duty to provide legal and regulatory certainty. Um, and that is what allows for innovation, uh, but that they need to be wary of the temptation to regulate crypto as like a risk to financial stability or to consumers. So like I said, really a balancing act and, and quite a fine line that I think a lot of governments are trying to sort out right now. Um, but that being said, you know, your question, you know, what role do different players in the space have? Um, we think that we have a duty and a role to play in this space. Um, Gemini has a responsibility to help guide regulators uh, in the development of regulatory frameworks that ultimately will benefit consumers. Yep. And from a flag perspective, Liam? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's as simple as saying that I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for regulation and policy. <laughs> um, I mean, it, the the story is different in the US because uh, Plaid was building things before uh, without it being um, mandated by the regulator. Whereas in Europe, it was mandated by the regulator. So banks had to open their APIs and then um, that's what we plug into. So regulation is massive, massively important for us. But one thing that I'll say going forward is all of a sudden, um, the main players in, in the space have become the experts in what's happening and what's going to happen in the future. So to the co-development point that was just made, we really need to work with the regulator in order to educate them on what's happening, how things are changing and how users are using these products to make sure that users are best protected. So once again, it is really about that collaboration piece and sharing that knowledge so that we create the best um, environment for the regulator, for um us as um, operators in the space and ultimately for um, end consumers. Yeah, so as, as the host today, I get some privileges and one of them is to shill my own you know, kit. So Stripe recently announced integration with Polygon, which allows their users to essentially make payments in, in a stablecoin. Uh, so Elena, you guys, Gemini have a, have a popular stablecoin, right? You, uh, that's DUSD. Uh, so are you, what sort of trends are you seeing in the adoption of payments using the stablecoin? Yeah, um, it's a great question. So we do have GUSD, Gemini Dollar. Um, that's a token that we issue um, out of the U.S. Um, and I, I think that, you know, there's a lot going on with stablecoins generally right now. Um, yeah. Which you know, I I'm uh, not going to yeah. comment on, um, yeah. but I think stablecoins are a really promising sort of driver in the future adoption of crypto. Um, I'm not speaking about GUSD specifically or about any token specifically, really, but I know that there are a lot of interesting use cases for stablecoins in, say, remittance. Um, and that is a really kind of interesting area that could see a lot of growth and sort of a lot of adoption um, over time. Um, I'm trying to think of other big trends in in stable coins and in payments. I think you know there's there's a lot of innovation to be done to get it to a place where you know you're just carrying around your phone and it has your whatever dollar coin um, sitting around in your wallet. And that's the case for everybody. Um, yeah. But, you know, give it time. Yeah. <laughs> if you think about maybe even where, like, look at a comparison with the tap to pay, you know, the Apple pays, the Google pays. Uh, yeah. How many five years ago, how many people were using that? Was it even available, honestly? Uh, but look at where it is now. Um, I think there's always a lot of room for growth in the payment space in general. And that yeah. some things are really quick on the uptake and maybe we're not quite there yet on stable coins, but there are are interesting use cases and you know to my point earlier like use cases are always being explored and expanded in different geographies so yeah um, so hopefully we'll see more growth the reason i asked that question is because you know one of the promises of crypto payments has always been this idea of cross-border internet native right right from the days of bitcoin uh so there have been this uh, bitcoin was invented as you know if you go back to the white paper it's uh, it says peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash and Bitcoin first for the first time solved the the problem of double spend and as in you know people being able to send 
uh, a, a, a valuable asset to two people at the same time or without any central intermediary kind of like correcting that. So, so Bitcoin enabled internet native payments, and that's always been the dream, and still is uh, to a large extent. And and there is a lot of volume in stablecoin payments now. 120 billion uh, worth of stablecoins uh, are there in the market right now. Now the volume is shrinking, but uh, so for, for this cross-border dream to be realized, right? Without with or without stablecoins or whichever crypto assets are involved. What are the challenges that you uh, see today uh, from a Gemini perspective, and uh, and you know what can be done uh, to uh, to sort of fulfill this theme of internet native cross border, truly cross border, you know, democratic uh, payments experience? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you know, at Gemini, we we think about two major factors when we're thinking about expanding services and you know trying to push push into new geographies, maybe. Um, there's first, of course, the local regulatory landscape, and then second, the local customer needs. And I think everything really starts from those two major drivers. We're looking into what do customers need in the region? Does our product offering fit the market? Are we going to be able to meet local product hygiene standards within the competitive landscape? What does local regulation look like? Are there any impending changes in that regulation? How open is the regulator to open to working with trusted crypto partners? Um, and I think that trusted piece of it is is really key because, um, like you were saying, you know, the, there's this dream of sort of borderless payments and the, the borderless crypto ecosystem, um, but like borders are real, and so we do really approach going into new geographies with that, you know regulation first mindset. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of questions that are to be asked when we're approaching expansion so we can make sure we're doing it right. Um, I'd say the obstacles that we generally face are our opportunities actually. So for example, if a country, if a country has a regulator that's crypto shy, you know, that's an opportunity for us to maybe work with them to impact what future regulation looks like. So that makes sense for customers and for the crypto industry. And, you know, to what Liam was saying earlier, like there's such an opportunity for collaboration and this like co-development when you have a regulator like that. Um, and then similarly, another common obstacle in expansion is making sure that we can provide value in the market by accepting the local fiat currency. And it's not always an easy problem to solve, but I do generally see this as an opportunity too. We have such an opportunity in these cases to learn about local payment methods, maybe even work with great local or global partners to level up the experience um, and to set up a new minimum expectation of product hygiene in the market. Um, so yeah, there are positive ways to look at those obstacles. And I think the ultimate outcome of expanding accessibility to crypto through geographic expansion is it's definitely worth the work. Sure, sure. So uh, I think we're coming to uh, uh, you know, the close of the, the show. Liam, any uh, final thoughts, anything I missed that you would like to cover, uh, final comments? Yeah, I just want to sort of chime in on that borderless point that was made finally. And I mean, it it nicely sort of like segues from um, Elena's final, final um, 
final point there around the fiat on ramps um, globally. And to be honest, it's very difficult to get your money into the crypto space in a lot of places um, for various different reasons. Sometimes you just don't have the ability to, and sometimes it's crazily expensive. And the way the place that um, Plaid really fits in here is that we want to provide that easy, um, non-expensive um, way of getting your money into the crypto space. And we see ourselves as a global company. Um, company and being able to do that in the US, across Europe, and even further in the future will really sort of support that borderless stream for crypto because people will be able to move their money from fiat into crypto and then they can leverage those stable coins and any other coin that they want to use. Yeah, make, makes makes complete sense. Thank you for that. Elena, any final thoughts? Anything you would like no, to know? No, no, I, I totally agree with what, um, with what Liam was saying. And, you know, I guess maybe I just also, I'm always reminded of sort of Gemini's founding story, you know, almost 10 years ago now, our founders, Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss, they felt their own experience buying crypto, you know, had significant room for improvement. That's what drove them to found Gemini. And, um, you know, I just think we've come so far since then. Um, and it's really been... Yeah been a pleasure working in the space and working with plaid to really drive down those barriers to entry into the market absolutely and i think gemini and plaid both have played a very important and constructive role in this space so thank you so much for that uh and thank you so much for joining us and you know informing and educating our uh, audience about all the innovation that's happening in the space and your contribution as well and really appreciate your time the Again, this is Breaking Banks, episode 129. And uh, on behalf of our guests, I would like to thank our uh, guests. Uh, audience, I would like to thank our guests and have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to Breaking Banks Europe, a Provoke Media podcast in cooperation with Fintech Stage. Don't forget to tweet us out, shout out, or post to the team at Breaking Banks EU on Twitter. If there's something or someone you'd like to hear on our cast, let us know. See you next week on Breaking Banks Europe.